Amen. Well, good morning, church. How we doing? All right. It's exciting to be here. Always excited to worship together. Um, it's been an awesome time in the month of July. I hope you guys have enjoyed getting to hear uh, a number of communicators over the past few weeks. Uh, it's been awesome. I mean, we are, our church is full of so many people that are so gifted, uh, so many good men uh, that can preach God's word. And so, man, it's been a treat for me uh, to get to hear that, and I'm excited to be back. I hope you guys brought your lunch with you. Um, I'm excited to preach again, excited to preach this passage. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up John chapter 14. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to keep you all um, to eat lunch in here, maybe. Um, so y'all can laugh a little bit. Um, <clears throat> anyway, before you guys turn there, John chapter 14 is where we're going to be. A couple things. I do want to highlight one of our connect groups that we're starting up uh, this fall, something new that we're doing. Uh, we are actually launching a Celebrate Recovery small group. And so uh, Celebrate Recovery is an incredible ministry out of a church out in California, and they write their own curriculum. And really, uh, it's, it's based a lot around people who are walking through pretty difficult things that uh, feel like they're too broken to talk to anybody about what they're walking through. And so uh, that can be a number of things, whether it's divorce or addiction or uh, anxiety, depression. I mean, it doesn't have to be all those things. We're all broken people, but uh, if there's something in your life that you just feel like you can't move past or get over or someone in your life that you feel like can't move past something or get over, uh, this is going to be a group of people that come around each other and support each other as you uh, walk through some of these, these uh, difficult things in your life. And so if you have questions about that or you want more information or you know what Celebrate Recovery is and you want to be involved in that, there's a table outside as you leave. Uh, Scott and Nancy McComb are actually going to be our leaders, and they have a team of people that are going to help with that. Uh, so definitely stop by, talk to them, and they would love to get you guys uh, plugged in uh, with that. And then one more thing before we jump in. Um, so I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, our church has grown tremendously uh, since January. Uh, we've actually grown by 34%, uh, which is really cool. So that's something to celebrate. Um, and so growth is both a blessing and a challenge, right? And so one of the things that it challenges us on uh, is having enough room for your kids in our kids' ministry. Um, and so uh, if you are a family and you are willing to get up a little bit earlier and come to the 9 a.m., uh, that would be very, very helpful for us throughout the fall. Uh, falls are usually a time where a lot of new people come in, and so we're trying to plan. We have enough room back here to hold about uh, anywhere between 80 and 100 kids. Uh, once we get there, you know what it looks like back there when you drop your kid off. It's hard for us uh, to really produce environments that are, that, are, that are conducive for teaching your kids about Jesus. And so uh, we have about half the number of kids at a 9 a.m. service than we do uh, at an 11 a.m. service. And so if you're willing to do that, uh, that would be more than, uh, we'd be more grateful uh, for you to be able to do that. So 9 a.m., if you can make it happen, uh, or you get the rest of your day off, I could give you some pros, but you guys know it. If you want to sacrifice and do that, that would be very helpful for us uh, to do that. So uh, John chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Uh, we are in a series called The Real Jesus, and so we've been in this series for quite some time. We've been walking through uh, the book of John, the gospel of John that's been teaching us about Christ, and really the premise of this entire series is that we live in a culture nowadays where people like to uh, pretty much create their own Jesus. Uh, and what I mean by that is they create a Jesus that always agrees with them, uh, that doesn't challenge them to do hard things, that doesn't tell them they're wrong uh, in any way, that doesn't allow the truth of God's word to be the truth of God's word. When we don't like something, 
We just kind of twist it to be what we want it to be. And so uh, one of the things that we're learning through the book of John is that Jesus is who he is. And we have to learn to uh, accept that and learn to uh, deal with that and learn that we're, our joy and our fulfillment and our satisfaction doesn't come through creating our own version of Jesus, but comes through knowing the real Jesus. And so we've been looking through that. And so we've made it all the way to John chapter 14. And Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. Uh, and, and in this chapters 13 through 17, it's known as the farewell discourse, right? And so uh, why is it known as that? Well, this is kind of Jesus's last meeting with his 12 disciples. Uh, it's in a room, an upper room. It's a very intimate conversation between Jesus and his followers. And so we've seen him get down on his hands and knees and wash their feet. And we've seen him uh, kind of publicize the fact that uh, Judas was going to betray him. We've also seen uh, him even announce that Peter uh, was going to deny him uh, three times. And so uh, he's also announced that he's getting ready to leave and go away. And where he's going, the disciples can't come with him. And so as you can imagine, the disciples are, are uh, their feelings are very troubled at this moment. They're, they don't really know what's happening. They don't know what's going on. They have no idea that they're getting ready to go and watch their Savior be crucified uh, by the Romans uh, and, and by uh, his own Jewish people, right? And so they're getting ready to enter into a time of very deep trouble. And so Jesus knows that. Uh, Jesus should be the one that is more troubled than his disciples, but instead of being uh, self-seeking and, and worrying about his own self, he's more worried about his disciples. And so he addresses this in John chapter 14. So let's read together, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, so believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas, one of the disciples, speaks up and says, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Which is a minor miracle in itself because you have a man actually asking for directions, right? Um, all the women said amen, right? Um, Jesus answers, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so again, we see these disciples in a moment of uh, really a season of, of troubling things that are coming out. Circumstances are causing them to be troubled deep in their hearts, in their feelings, and in their soul. And Jesus addressed their troubled hearts with a command. And that command is to believe. He wants them to uh, believe. He wants them uh, not only to believe, but he also talks to them about heaven and thinking about eternity as well as he clarifies uh, a pathway to heaven to be where he is. And so he commands them first to uh, believe, right? And so, and it's an imperative verb, meaning that it's important that they go and do this. This is something that they have to do. It's an action verb. And he's really pleading with them here. And this is the thing about belief, you know. The promises of God, 
don't do anything for us if we don't believe them and apply them into our lives, right? And so when we're experiencing times of trouble and our souls are unsettled and we're in challenging circumstances, it's one thing to know the promises of God, but it's another thing to believe them. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you must believe in me, believe my words, believe my works. The Father and I are one, is what he's wanting them to believe. And then he says, secondly, to fix your attention on heaven. The way Jesus settles their troubled hearts is by saying, listen, you are going to be with me forever. So I'm going to prepare a place for you. Uh, and he says, there's many rooms. And a lot of times people misinterpret this text because the old King James and the new King James says many mansions, right? And so when people think of heaven, a lot of times what they want to think about is all the stuff that's going to be in heaven, right? The mansions and the gold streets and all of these things. And honestly, the Bible doesn't really say a whole lot about the details of heaven. And so what I take that to mean is that the Bible is more focused on not the things of heaven, but who's going to be in heaven with us. You hear what I'm saying? The point of heaven and the point of Jesus and comforting us with heaven is the fact that the presence of God is there. And the presence of God is what brings peace into our times of trouble, right? And so he says there's going to be a place for us. And Jesus, of course, was going to the cross. And on the cross, what he would do is be accomplish our salvation, which means to buy us back uh, so that we can now be reconciled with the Father for eternity. He's essentially buying the presence of God for us with his life. And he says there's many rooms in the Father's house. And if we're a Christian, that he is preparing a place uh, for us, that we have a dwelling place in the house of God forever. The presence of God will be with us forever. And that's an incredible, incredible promise. And then thirdly, he clarifies the way. I mean, of course, Thomas asked the question, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know uh, the way? And you can almost hear the confusion in Thomas's voice. And Jesus says very clearly, very profoundly, very exclusively, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is basically saying, I am the only way to God. He's saying, Works don't get you to God, so you don't do good works to get to God. Uh, good morals don't get you there. You don't get to, to be in relationship with the Father, be in His presence because you're a good person uh, in, the, in your standards of what that means. Uh, you don't uh, get to God by going to church. Going to church is a great thing, but going to church doesn't get you to heaven. Uh, Buddha, Muhammad, no other religion gets you uh, to Jesus. Only the cross of Jesus Christ can reconcile sinful mankind back to the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. A lot of people get mad about that, right? They think, well, who are you to stand and say that there's only one way to heaven? Well, I didn't say that. Jesus said that, right? And if you roll with Jesus, then you roll with what Jesus says. This is the truth, that there's only one way uh, to heaven. This is why every person on this earth must figure out one thing. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with him? Are you going to receive him and live in him, be in relationship with him, trust in him for salvation? Or are you going to try to do it on your own? Because Jesus says there is no other way. Verse 7, 
If you really know me, then you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him, Philip said. Lord, show us the Father, that, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, it's almost like that hurt Jesus' feelings. But Philip's just like, hey, I, I, I still am not making the connection. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things. Somebody say greater things. Greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So you can almost feel the intimacy of this moment. Jesus is urging his disciples and Philip to believe in him. And we know there's disciples, so they already believe to a degree, but he's urging them to continue to believe, even in the midst of troubling circumstances, to believe in him, believe in who he is, and believe in his plan, to believe you can trust him even in times that are difficult to understand what's going on. And then he gives the incredible promise that those who actually do believe, he says that these people will continue my work on the earth and do even greater things than I've done. Now, greater things, what does that mean? Like, Jesus literally resurrected dead people. And I don't know many people in here or in my life that have resurrected a dead person. So he can't mean, like, quality of work. So what's he talking about? He's not talking about doing uh, more quality works than he's done. He's talking about more quantity, right? So he's talking about his plan, which is to go back to the Father and, and accomplish salvation, sit at the right hand of God, and then send his Holy Spirit to live inside of all believers. So what could be better than Jesus beside us? Think about that. Like, what could be better than me saying, hey, hold on, guys. I know you guys think I'm a decent preacher, um, but, hey, I got a special guest today. Um, his name's Jesus. Um, not, not just a Jesus, but the Christ, like Jesus from the Bible's here, and he wants to share a few words. Like, man, that would be the greatest day of our lives, right? But he would only be able to be in one place at one time. And Jesus had a greater plan than that. And so what Jesus wanted to do, and his greater plan, is to go back to the Father. And when people become believers, true believers, surrender their life to Christ, he fills them with his Holy Spirit. And what his Holy Spirit does is send us out to be his disciples, to be little Christ all over the world. And that's his greater plan, is he's raising up an army of little Christ, people who have the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Spirit that filled Christ while he was on earth, um, here with us to go out and live for him. And so that's his greater plan. It's an awesome thing. And so this is our passage today, and I want to just take it and really just kind of reiterate a few things that I've already said and put it on the bottom shelf. And so if you have uh, a pen, I want you to write this down in your phone or wherever you want to write it down. But three things I want you to think about from this passage. The first is this. God's comfort 
For the troubled heart is found through belief. God's comfort for the troubled heart is found through belief. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so one thing that you'll notice if you read the Bible, the truth of God's word says over and over again that if we live in a broken world full of sin, that we are going to face trouble in this life, right? Can anybody just testify to that? So there are no perfect world to live in. There is no perfect world. We're not going to be a perfect world until Jesus comes back. And so we are going to experience pain in this life. We're going to experience trouble, and trouble can look a hundred uh, different ways in our life, whether it's anxiety or cancer or criticism or persecution or anything in between. All of us will face trouble in this world. Suffering is inevitable. Uh, things are not always going to go our way, uh, contrary to popular belief that once you become a Christian that everything goes well for you. Uh, things actually get harder, right? And so we're going to experience tough times in this life. And so this verse is not just for the disciples. It is also for us. And what troubles do and tough times do is they test your faith. That's what they do, right? And so when we face trouble in this world, in a lot of ways, that's where you really know if you have faith or not, because it's a test of faith. And so it tests our faith. And the Bible also teaches that God grows us through the testing of our faith. And so we need to understand that. And so Jesus, of course, doesn't talk about the growth part here. He talks more about comfort, which is incredible, right? And so uh, we talk a lot about growing here at our church, but uh, there's not a lot of times where I talk about God comforting people in their troubles. And today is an incredible scripture when it comes to God comforting us in our times of trouble. So the question is, how does God comfort us in our times of trouble? We have to believe, but he comforts us through uh, three things. He does it by reminding us of his plan, his presence, and by fixing our eyes on, Christ, on, on heaven. Eternity is what he wants us to be thinking about. So first, Jesus wants you to be comforted by his plan. We have to believe and trust in his plan. Jesus calmed their troubled hearts by commanding them to believe in him. And then he tells them, listen, I know this doesn't make sense, but I have a plan and you have to trust me. And so, but here's the thing. Jesus, when we're walking through difficult times, doesn't sit us down and say, Billy, hey, you're about to face a very difficult time, but I want to tell you it's only going to be for uh, three weeks and two days, a couple hours, and then there's going to be a breakthrough, and you're going to be a much better Christian on the other side of it. This is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and then you're going to be set free in this way. Like, Jesus doesn't do that, right? And so we have to understand that when we're facing these times of trouble, that we have a God that we can trust. Like, even in this context, think about it. Jesus is basically saying, hey, guys, I know you're troubled because I'm going away. And he doesn't even reveal the whole plan to him. He just says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But we know, based on the rest of Scripture, that when he says he's going to prepare a place for them, he's got to go to the cross and die before their eyes. I mean, can you imagine him sitting down and saying, hey, guys, I'm going away. Um, I'm actually about to get murdered in front of you. And it's going to be gruesome, and it's going to be terrible, and I'm going to need you guys to watch it. And people are actually going to 
uh, try to put you guys in jail and persecute you because you followed me. Can you imagine that pep talk? That's not a pep talk. It's like, oh, Lord, like, take me with you. you know? Like, what do you do, right? And that's what Jesus, he knows that. And so he says, listen, I have a plan, and this plan is going to be for your good and for my glory. And he says, I need you to trust it, and I need you to believe in it, because in troubled times, sometimes it's only that you understand that God has a plan in this and through this that's for your good and for his glory that gets you through it. And But we have to trust that in our trouble, God is sovereign, and his word says that he is working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, and that's the promise that he gives us. And so we have a God that has a plan that we can trust in. Secondly, Jesus wants us to be comforted by his presence. His presence. He wants us to believe in his presence, rest in his presence. You see, the focus in this passage, even though he goes to heaven, is that he's going to prepare a place, but the focus isn't on the place. The focus is, I'm coming back to get you so that you can be with me where I am. That means the focus of heaven is that Jesus is there. And comfort and peace in the life of a believer doesn't happen based on where you are. It happens based on who is with you where you are. That makes sense? And that's what Jesus wants us to understand, that there is peace in his presence. And even the way he talks about heaven, the focus is not on the things of heaven. It's on that he is going to be with us. And this is what the Word of God reminds us, and that's what he's telling his disciples here. He wants them to understand that he's leaving, he has a plan, but that he's going to send his Spirit to be him with them until he comes back, right? It's an incredible, incredible promise. And then thirdly, not only do we have hope in his presence and hope in his plan, but we also get hope in heaven. And Jesus says, hey, if my plan's not good enough for you, and my presence is not good enough for you, then hey, just think about heaven. Basically, just think about heaven. Fix your eyes on heaven, the next life. I love the lyrics, and I told Andrew this a few uh, weeks ago. I talked to Kenan about it, but you know, the church at large does not sing about heaven enough. Like We don't sing a lot of songs about heaven. We need to change that. We need to be thinking about heaven because God wants us to think about heaven. I love the lyrics of a song that David Crowder uh, wrote where he, he says this line. He says, earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. You ever heard that? Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. I was listening to an interview, and if you talk to a wise person uh, that's walked through some suffering, uh, one of the things that you'll figure out is that God has really taught them a lot. But one of my favorite pastors who just passed away a couple months ago, uh, Tim Keller, uh, who passed away, had stage four pancreatic cancer. He lived uh, for a long time with that, a couple years, um, longer than most people live. But it was the last interview that they had with him uh, before he died. And he made a statement uh, in that. They were asking about his health, how he was doing, how he was feeling, like how he was coping with this whole uh, terminal diagnosis. And he made a statement that I'll never forget, and I want you to listen to it. He said this, The resurrection is a sure promise that no matter what I face in this world, that everything is going to be okay. And I listen to that, and I'm like, man, that means a whole lot more from him who's walking through this difficult thing. He said, because Jesus rose from the grave, because Jesus resurrected, because heaven is for real, 
everything is going to be okay. And he wasn't the only person that said this. Jesus went on to say it. Listen in John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, sometimes we just need to lift our eyes to heaven. Paul says in Colossians 3, set your minds on the things above. Richard Baxter, a famous Puritan uh, author who you probably don't know of, uh, went through a lot of suffering in his life. He, he had some, uh, like a, a ter- he didn't have a terminal illness, but he just had a lot of suffering going on in his life. He lost a lot and did a lot of things. And I remember somebody asking him one time in, in one of his books, hey, how do you get through all of these difficult circumstances that you've had to walk through? And he said, well, I've learned to think about heaven at least 30 minutes every day. 30 minutes every day. He said, because heaven disarms any permanence to the trouble that I face on this earth. And I was like, man, what an incredible way. Paul knew this. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. No matter what trouble you're facing, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we may be wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Listen, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the path of a Christian. But we don't live in the world under a shelter thinking that bad things aren't going to happen. We know in this world it's sinful, it's broken, it's fallen. Not only do we have sin in our lives, and we're trying to battle that, but we have an enemy that's trying to destroy us. And we live in a world that's working against us. Bad things and trouble is sure to come. But when it comes, we have a hope even beyond that. I want you to listen to C.S. Lewis. He spoke into it, and I'll end with this. I could tell you a hundred things about it, but listen. He says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present, did most in the present world were just those who thought the most of the next, heaven. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up Christianity in the Middle Ages, even the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade and accomplished much for the kingdom of God, who all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since that Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. And so what he's saying, and what C.S. Lewis understood, was that we are designed to live in this world focused on heaven, like focused on eternity. And things that God is going to ask us to do, some difficult things that God may ask us to do for his kingdom in this world, if we are not focused on heaven and we're more attached to this world, we will miss out on that that God had planned for us. And so we must not be so glued to this world and attached to this world that we are ineffective for the true world that God's asked us to live for, which is heaven and eternity. The second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is the only way. It's an incredible, incredible, incredible statement. But here's a stat for you. 56% 
of evangelicals. These are people who go to church and say that they believe the gospel and believe in Jesus. Uh, 56% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is just one of the paths to heaven. That Jesus is just one of the ways to heaven. Jesus disagrees with that. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is a profound statement, a very exclusive statement. And so let's break it down. What does he mean? What is he talking about? First, he says, I am the way. I want you to think about, what's he talking about? Jesus is the way to where? Where are you the way to? That's what Thomas asked. And he answers that for us. He says, I'm the way back to the Father. I am the pathway to heaven. To eternal life comes only through Christ. Well, why do we need to be reconciled back to the Father, you may ask? Like, I'm created by God. Doesn't God, like, love everybody? Doesn't he just love me? Well, yes, in one way, but in another way, uh, the Bible also teaches that we're born into sin, right? Meaning that we are born in the lineage of Adam, and that Adam's sin basically cursed the entire uh, human race. And so every person that's born, every baby uh, that's born, uh, is born with an inclination for sin. We are born into sin. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, and when we don't get our way, we don't like it, right? And anybody that's ever raised a baby can say, amen, right? They don't get a bottle. When they want a bottle, what do they do? They cry. Well, just think of yourself as a grown-up baby. You don't get what you want. Most of the time, you make it known. And so this is what sin is. It's rebellion against God. Instead of living your life in submission to God, you live your life based on what you want to do when you want uh, to do it. And it may seem fun, but the Bible teaches it leads to death and destruction and actually separates you from God the Father who you were created to be in relationship with. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, your sin separates you from a holy God. And a holy God cannot allow a sinful person into his presence. And so the only way for you and I to be reconciled back to God is for Jesus to come and die on behalf of our sin. And that's exactly what he did. Is On the cross, he became sin for us so that God's punishment and justice and wrath was satisfied through the death of Christ so that now when we believe into Jesus, when we believe in Christ and what he's done and rest the weight of our salvation on him, now God actually allows us into his presence through the merit of Christ. This is why Jesus is such an important thing in uh, Christianity is because Christ is our pathway to the Father. He is the reason that we can have relationship with God. There is no other way. There's only one door to salvation. There's only one pathway. And again, where we live, most of you guys don't want to argue with me about that, right? Like, we, it's pretty accepted uh, in Vadea, Georgia, in the South, in church, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Most people would say amen to that. There may be one or two people in here that are like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, you know, I think their religion's good for them, my religion's good for me. And of course, Jesus is addressing that, so, but that's really not a lot of people where we live. And so I want to kind of address it from a different angle this morning from an application uh, side of this. I think, however, a lot of people uh, assume that just because they know this scripture intellectually, that they have believed in Christ. Like, like just because they intellectually would say, 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through him, so I believe in Jesus. And it's more of an intellectual assent that Jesus is the only way, so I believe in him. But belief in the Bible is a lot more than that. If you want to define belief in the Bible, the way to define it is an actionable trust, right? When a person believes in Christ, it's not just intellectually saying, hey, I believe in Jesus the same way you would believe in Abraham Lincoln, right? Even the demons believe that way and know that Jesus is a person. But when a Christian believes in the Bible, what happens is they believe into Christ in such a way that they rest the weight of their entire salvation upon his finished work on the cross, and they don't count on anything else to make them right with God. And what happens is in that moment, you are set free to now not live to earn anything from God, but to live out of response and gratitude of what Jesus has already accomplished on your behalf. And it moves from your head to your heart and then out of your body where you begin to live differently because of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for you. And this is why, how do I know that? Well, I know that because when you see people believe in the Bible, every time a person believes in the Bible, their life changes. You know, that's why believers in the Bible weren't known as Christians. You know that, right? That's a word we made up. Acts used it for one time. But the word in the Bible for a follower of Jesus is a disciple. And what does the term disciple mean? Follower. It's the term of a student that follows a teacher and tries to become like that teacher, which is the word Christian. The word Christian actually means little Christ, and they named early believers that because their lives were so much like Christ that they were like, oh, these are little Christ. They're following Jesus because their life looks like it. And so uh, they also labeled them as followers of the way. Why, Why were they labeling these people? Because they were living differently. And they were living in a way that reflected Jesus Christ. And so I beg you, don't miss it today. Do not miss it. Don't assume that you're a Christian just because you intellectually assent to the fact that Jesus died on the cross or that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. Don't assume that. Test your faith. Don't put your hope in being a good person or uh, your, your church attendance or your religious works. Put your faith in Christ So much so that if you stood before God today and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? He would say, only because of Christ. Only because of Christ. The full weight of my salvation is on him. And because of that, I live for him every day. Secondly, Jesus says, I am the truth. Not just the way, but the truth. And this is a huge, huge statement. We live in a pluralistic society where really nobody wants to hear the truth. What does that sound like? Well, it kind of sounds like this. Most people just want to create their own truth. That's the whole premise of this series that we're in. And, and it kind of goes something like this. Well, Billy, that's your truth. I know you, you're a Christian. You believe in God's word, but that's your truth. Um, and that works for you. But that doesn't really work for me. So this is my truth, and this works for me. right? But the problem with that is that's not really how truth works. right? Truth is not based on opinion. Like truth stands on its own. You get that, right? Truth, it doesn't matter what you think about truth. It matters that if it's truth, that you need to base what you think around the truth, right? And that's what Jesus is coming to say. He's saying, listen, I'm truth. I am the truth. And truth stands on its own. He says, I'm the source of all truth. I'm the 
judge. I am the one true God. I am the standard. And this is why as a Christian and as a believer in Christ, that God's word is so important to us. Because if God's word is truth, then really our opinions don't matter a whole lot. What matters is what he says. And, and his word has a lot to say. It teaches us the truth about the world, the truth about us, the truth about our sin, the truth about our salvation, the truth about who we are and our identity and our purpose and the meaning that God has placed upon our life. And all of this is found in Christ. And then Jesus would even go on to say in John 8, chapter uh, 8, verse 31, he says, listen, if you abide in my word, meaning if you walk in my word, then you're truly my disciples. And listen to him. And he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Does anybody want to be set free in the building today? I mean, we all want to experience freedom. But the world is going to tell you that freedom is doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Right? That's what we think. We send a kid off to college, and it's like, yeah, they're just kind of doing their thing right now. You know, they got freedom, and now they've tasted it and are going after it. Well, that's not freedom. Freedom is not doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Freedom is, is walking as if you were uh, created by God and walking in the way that God designed you to walk and living in the truth and the reality that God created you to live in. And that life, that freedom is only found in Christ and following him. And then not only does he say he's the way and the truth, he also says he's the life. I am the life. Like Think about that statement. It is profound and life-changing in so many different ways. What does it mean that Jesus is the life? He's basically saying there's only one source to true life, and it's me. He's saying that every person on this earth was created by God for God, and they will search, and they will try to find life in things other than me, but life abundant is only found when you find Christ. The best way I know to say it is every person in this room has a God-sized shaped hole in your heart. And we try to fit all kinds of things in it. Money, sex, power, sports, accolades, success, whatever you want to put in there, you try to fit it in there. But at the end of the day, that hole in your heart can only be satisfied through Christ. And this is why 1 John teaches that he who finds Christ finds life. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying he is the life. And so let me ask you a question. Who is Christ to you? Is he the way? Is he the truth? Is he your life? I mean, because those three statements are very all-encompassing. If you truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, your life is going to look different. And your life is going to be drastically shaped by that belief. Your actions will be shaped in a tremendous way by that. Is he everything to you? Listen, don't miss it today. Don't assume that you've been saved. Don't assume that you're good soul. If, if God is not shaping every area of your life, you would have a hard time believing that you've truly trusted in him as the way, the truth, and the life because that produces evidence in our life, drastic, drastic evidence. And then thirdly, and I'll close with this point. God wants to accomplish great things in us and through us. 
I love how this passage ends. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things. Somebody say greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So again, Jesus says, listen, it's better that I go. And his disciples are like, what? Are you crazy? What could be better than having you with us? And Jesus says, trust me, I'm going to send a helper. And this helper is known as the Holy Spirit. And he's going to be a counselor. He's going to be a, 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 an, an advocate to walk alongside of you. He's going to be God himself living inside of you as a believer. And he says, listen, because I'm going away and sending this helper, this Holy Spirit to live inside of believers, the work of God on this earth is going to be way bigger. And he says, the plan for that to happen is you. Ordinary people empowered by the Spirit of God doing the work of God on this earth. That's what God's plan is. That's his greater plan. And so here's a question for you. Have you ever considered what God can do through you if you would just truly surrender your life to him? Have you ever considered what the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life and through your life could accomplish on this earth for Christ? Have you ever considered that? Let me tell you a couple things that, that, that may happen. Well, one, he would use you to reach other people. He would use you to change the eternity of people around you, where you are. He would use you to display his love to a selfish and dying world. He would change your life forever, and he would use your story to bring hope to others who have no hope. He wants to use you to help other people grow in their relationship with him. He wants to use you to minister to people, to minister to children and students and, 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 and kids that you coach and kids that you teach and people that you serve at your jobs. He wants to use you to, to plant churches and bring the good news to unreached places that have no access to the gospel. And listen, it's not even about you and it's not about me. And it's not about Connection Church. He wants to use you for his glory. And one of the things that, the quicker you understand this and realize this, the better off you're gonna be. You know, we're created a lot like God created the moon. You know, the moon reflects the light of the sun. That's what it does, right? That's why it glows. And we're created in the very same way. Like our lives are intended to reflect the glory of God. And when we find that, we find the purpose in which God created us to do it. And you see, this is God's greater plan. He wants to use ordinary people empowered by the Spirit of God to accomplish his great commission to make disciples of all nations. So have you ever considered that in your life? That God wants to use you and God has a plan for your life. Right where you are, I want you to bow your head. My prayer for every person in this room today is that you would surrender to God's plan for your life. You know, and, and it's easy for me to say because I have already surrendered to God's plan and I, I try to do it every day. And I'm on the other side of that surrender. 
And so I could sit here and tell you story after story after story after story of how God has satisfied me deeper than anything else in this world has ever satisfied me. God has used me to change the eternity of, of many people, and he's done it for his glory. I, I've seen so many people go from sin to life in Christ, and God's using them to do incredible things. But it's one thing for me to tell you that, and it's another thing for you to experience that. And listen, the invitation of Christ is come to me. Come to me. Believe in me. Trust in me is the way, the truth, and the life. And allow me to do great things in you and through you. Don't miss that invitation this morning. If you're in this room and you say, Billy, I've never received this invitation. Like, I want to be saved. I want to know Christ, and I want him to change my life forever. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to be bold. I want you to lift your hand right where you are and say, Billy, that's me. Today, that's what I want. I want Christ to save me. Is there anybody in here? I'll give you a second. And raise your hand. Say, Billy, that's me. That's me. Raise it high. So, Father, for the rest of us in the room this morning, God, would you remind us of your grace? God, maybe we're in here and we're in times of trouble. God, would we set our eyes on things above this morning? God, would you remind us that you have a plan? Would you remind us of your goodness? God, would you remind us that you are working all things out for your good and for your purposes? God, empower us to be your people. God, maybe we've lost sight of the fact that you wanna use us. I pray this morning, Lord, that we'd open our hands and say, God, here I am. God, use me, send me, I'll go. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet and worship with us?